The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. St. John the Evangelist Bromley. I'm the vicar there. I've been the vicar for 12 and a half years, uh, church pastor. And uh, I get to preach, I get to preach on God's Word uh, week by week, which is a massive privilege. And um, today I've chosen my absolute favorite Bible story to read to you and then to preach on it. And it's a story I expect will be very familiar to you. Uh, you might know exactly, uh, you might know all the ins and outs of this passage, but nevertheless, I want to share it with you again, because it's got such important messages for us as Christians, for our community, for God's world. And it's from Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Amen. Well, let's, uh, there's the story. There's the story. Let's uh, have a think about it a little bit together. It's always, you know, it's always good to start a sermon with a joke. Do do, do do, Do your preachers here normally do a joke at the start? No, no, okay. Well, you know, break with tradition sometimes, it's a good thing, you know. It's the week of prayer for Christian unity, and that means that we're all one in Christ, despite all the differences. You might not do jokes, I do jokes, okay? If you like jokes, I might change your mind today. You might stop liking jokes after you've heard this one. See, Meatloaf died this week. Yeah? Great singer, great actor. Meatloaf, very sad. Very sad to see him, uh, him go. 
I had a vegetarian friend once, I asked him if he liked meatloaf. He got the wrong end of the stick, unfortunately, and I uh, thought I was talking about the food. I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, I'll, I would eat anything for lunch, <laughs> but I won't eat that. <laughs> I'd, I'd put that in to kind of to calibrate the, uh, the humor standard here. I, I'm getting an idea here of what you can cope with. Um, that was the best joke in the box for today. <laughs> Sorry. From now on, it's just downhill all the way, all the way. By the way, one of the, one of the things you, you, you find out when you go and preach in other churches is you, you find out what, what people can cope with, not just in terms of you know, humor and so on, but things like the length of sermon. Somewhere I've got a note from Jonathan saying how long I was to preach, and I can't find it, but I think he said an hour and a half is minimum. <laughs> right, I'm recruiting that guy for my church. <laughs> Ah, oh. okay, so we're thinking about Mark chapter 2. We're early on in Jesus' ministry. Mark's gospel has got 16 chapters. We're at the start of chapter 2, so we're close to the beginning of his ministry, and Jesus is still effectively setting out his stall. In fact, just a few verses before this, Jesus has done some amazing healings, and he's become really an overnight sensation, and people say, great, we want you to do more healings. And he said to them, this is chapter 1, verse, uh, where are we? Uh, chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus replied, okay, they said, come, come and do more healings, come and do more you'll be hugely popular. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can heal more people there. Is that right? No. So that I can preach there. Also, that is why I have come. Bible scholars sometimes call that the great refusal. It's a really surprising thing for Jesus to say. I mean, it's surprising that he, he resisted that opportunity to become massively popular, but also surprising that he says, look, I know there are all these people needing healing, but I, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go somewhere else to pursue a different agenda. I'm going to be pre preaching is now going to be the focus of my ministry, not healing. Quite surprising. But what's an even bigger surprise is that you get to the beginning of chapter 2, and he does this amazing healing. And you go, hang on a second, Jesus. I thought you said you weren't going to do that anymore. It's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? See, it's almost as though Jesus says, look, I've got an agenda, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn off compassion. So he sees this man and he's great, and he does heal him. But all Jesus' healing miracles from this point on are done in such a way as to teach. Because remember, that's what he says is his uh, priority is, I'm going I'm to teach. And that means that every time we read one of Jesus' healing stories from this point onwards, which is the, mo the, the, the bulk of the gospel narrative, we're asking ourselves, what, what's Jesus teaching through this healing miracle? What does he want us to know? Hold that thought, please. What does Jesus want us to know? Because it's amazing, isn't it, that he would turn down the opportunity to do lots of healings in order to preach. I mean, what, what, what piece of knowledge is so important that it's bigger than healing? You know, he says, I, I don't want people to be healed as much as I want them to know this important truth. 
I mean, that's not going to be a sort of pub quiz trivia level of uh, knowledge, is it? I mean, there's nothing there. There's nothing on Wikipedia that's so important that it's better than being healed, is there? But Jesus says, I've got a piece of knowledge that is more important than being healed. Okay, hold that, hold that thought. What's the world's biggest problem, do you think? What's, what's the world's biggest problem? I guess you could go out on the street in Bromley, uh, ask 100 people, and you'd get probably not 100 answers. You might get 10 different answers, mightn't you? What's the world's biggest problem? Uh, if you'd asked that two years ago or any time before that, obviously no one would have said COVID because no one had heard of it. Nowadays, I think, you know, that's the answer that we might get or people might say, well, maybe not COVID, but the next pandemic, whatever that's going to be, because we've, we've seen what that, that does. The world's biggest problem. Uh, back in the old days, pre, uh, pre-pandemic days, people used to say things like, well, the world's biggest problem is uh, terrorism. Or the world's biggest problem is uh, financial downturn or economic problems. Uh, or the, the world's greatest problem is uh, the people's loneliness or sense of not belonging. Uh, any number of things. I used, to, I used to work in a secondary school, a boys' secondary school. And uh, the answer to that question, what's the world's biggest problem, tended to vary enormously according to context. So you ask one particular boy on one particular day, what is the world's biggest problem? He'd say, sir, honest answer to that question. The biggest problem in the world is that I don't know the causes of the Russian Revolution and I'm about to go into an A-level exam. (laughs) Because, you know, your own problems, they just loom really large, don't they? Another boy said, sir, the world's biggest problem is that Susanna Smith in 12B won't go out with me. (laughs) Our problems seem huge. And maybe there are people sitting here today or watching online and you're saying, look, I have got some really big, serious, meaty problems in my life. And I really long for Jesus to come and sort them out. And that's what I'm praying for. And that's what I'm asking my friends to pray for. And that's great. You have big, big problems. We all have problems. In this story, however... And I'm, I, I, I'm not at all wanting to, to, to minimise or, or, or sort of um, reduce the, the size of the problems that you are facing. But the guy we meet in this story has, I, I think this is a fair thing to say, he has bigger problems than any problems that you or I is likely to face in our lives. I think that's, look, you may be, you may be having an extreme problem. If so, maybe you're on a level with him. But listen to this guy. He is a paralysed man. And he lives in first century Middle Eastern culture. He's apparently, he can't move, and therefore he can't work. Okay? All the work in that culture, pretty much, 99%, was manual labor. He couldn't work. There was no social security, so he gets no money. So no economic stability at all. He couldn't buy a house. In those days, everyone owned their own house. Even if they had renting houses, he wouldn't have been able to rent a house. He wouldn't have been able to get married uh, because no economic future, wouldn't have a family. Uh, the kind of things that maybe you and I like doing on our day off at the weekend, he couldn't do them because he can't move. The whole of life, as you and I know it, is basically closed, closed off to this man. The only thing he's got going for him 
is that he's got four friends. And his four friends, we can assume, based on what's, what goes on in the story, his four friends carry him around on a stretcher to wherever he needs to go. And one day, the four friends hear that Jesus has turned up in town and they say, we'll get you to Jesus. We don't know what to look. No one can help you, frankly, but if anyone can, maybe Jesus can. We will get you to Jesus. And so they pick him up and they carry him there. And uh, we don't know what kind of uh, hall it was that Jesus was preaching. All we know is that it was full. So full that you couldn't squeeze another person. You certainly couldn't squeeze in four people carrying a stretcher and one man lying down on the stretcher. It was impossible. Here we are. Uh, They gathered in such large, large numbers. We're told that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So what do these four guys do? They said, well, really sorry. We should have got here earlier. Uh, End of story. No, they don't. They're resourceful. They think, hey, we know how Middle Eastern houses are built. There's a roof. And it's a flat roof. And it's a mud roof. So what we could, if we could get up on there, we'll dig through the roof, make a hole, and lower the stretcher down on, on ropes or something like that. Now, the guy on the stretcher... His words here are not recorded in the conversation with the four guys, but I imagine it might have gone a bit like that, like, like this. Uh, listen, uh, Jim, uh, we've got this great plan. Uh, you see that roof up there? There's a narrow little staircase going up on. We're going to carry you up there. What? Yeah, yeah it's fine. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll have to squash the stretcher up, but we'll get you just about on there and then onto the roof. Why do I want to be on the roof? Well, the next part of the plan is really good. That's where we dig through the roof and then we get some ropes and we'll lower you. Hang on a second. You're going to do what you were going to lower your... It's all right. It's all right. It'll be fine. We'll lower your stretcher down through the middle and basically everyone will have to move back and make a space for you because otherwise... Let's not think about otherwise. (laughs) And Jim probably said... Guys, you've got to get this right, because if you wobble that stretcher and I fall off, then I'm going to be dead. It's a high-risk strategy for him. But these guys were undeterred. They did it. They got got up. They made the hole. They lowered the stretcher down. Obviously, everyone moves back a bit. The stretcher lands on the floor, and Jesus is now looking down into the eyes of this man, this man whose life is no life at all. And Jesus looks down at the man, and he starts to speak. He opens his mouth, and the man looks up, and he thinks, you know, for the first time in my life, I think there might be a solution. I think I might get to hear some good news. All those doctors who all the way through my life said, sorry, there's nothing we can do to help you. At last, I'm going to hear the words, Jesus is going to heal me. And the whole of my life is going to be transformed. I can get that job. I can marry that girl. I can buy that house. I can settle down, have a family. It's going to be amazing. Jesus opens his mouth, looks down at the man, and he says, son, I heal you. Is that right? That's what you're expecting, isn't it? I think that's what Jim was expecting. I think that's what his four friends on the roof with their ropes were expecting. And maybe the crowd were expecting it too. That's the obvious thing. I mean, everyone can see what this man needs. He needs to have his body. And Jesus says, 
No, it's like the great refusal all over again, but just for one person. Jesus says, you know, what, what did he say? Son, your sins are forgiven. And Jim's answer to Jesus is uh, not recorded. Uh, Maybe it was unprintable. Maybe if he was quite polite, he might have said to Jesus, well, thank you for nothing. Can't you see what my greatest... My greatest need is to get my body, and you decide this is the chance to talk about some theological mumbo-jumbo. You're frankly exploiting my disability... For your own teaching, Eugene, I'm not, not very impressed. That would be a le- legitimate answer, wouldn't it? I mean, what, why does he want to hear about sins? And it's almost as though Jesus is saying, look, uh, here's how I'm going to teach you through this healing miracle. Jesus says, let's just think about problems. What is the world's biggest problem? You all think that this man's biggest problem is his physical disability. Because it's colossal. It's all-encompassing. It has ruined his life not being able to move his legs. But, says Jesus, that's not his biggest problem. He's got a problem that's even bigger than that. And it's the problem of his sin. The man's physical disability, if I can put it this way, is nothing compared to his spiritual disability. Because the problem of our sin is the problem of being separated from the God who made us and who loves us. Your sin, my sin, Jim's sin, as he lies on his stretcher, separates us from God. And Jesus says that's far more serious than even the worst kind of physical disability. Because the problem of sin doesn't go away when you die. You know, those who are physically disabled in the new heavens and the new earth get a new perfect body. But the problem of spiritual disability is an eternal problem. Much, much more. And Jesus says, that is your problem, but he says, I can solve it. I can solve it. Now, we've got two reactions to what Jesus said. First of all, there's Jim's own reaction, which, as I said, isn't recorded, but maybe was a kind of thanks for nothing. But then there's another reaction, and this reaction is from the people who are described as teachers of the law, which means basically church leaders, vicars, preachers, pastors... Those kind of people, you know, kind of people who are not much fun, and uh, they're not much fun. In this story, either they are, uh, it says that some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming, who can forgive sins but God alone? And actually, they are half right, aren't they? God alone can forgive sins. Really important to get that point clear. God alone can forgive sins, because... If I do something against you, then you are hurt. And if you do something against me, then I am hurt. But both of us, when sinning against each other, sin against God. Every sin is against him. Who can forgive sins but God alone, the offended party? See, if my brother Clive here uh, comes up to me and uh, slaps me around the face, and then uh, William says to Clive, it's all right, Clive, I forgive you. What? How can you forgive? It's my face. He's, how can you forgive him? That's not your, it's not your prerogative. You're not allowed to do that. Only I can forgive a sin against me. And the teachers of the law say, well, only God can forgive sins because sins are against him. Who does Jesus think he is? And the answer is Jesus thinks he's God. 
And they don't like that. They say, well, thinking you're God is blasphemy. Well, it is blasphemy if you're not God. If you or I start behaving like God, that is blasphemy. But Jesus is allowed to think like God because he is God. And this is a claim to be God. He says, I forgive your sins. Of course I do. I'm God. I can forgive you. It's the, your biggest problem. It's your spiritual disability. I can solve that. I can forgive your sins. And from now on, your life is going to be totally different. Let's just examine. I mean, it is going to be totally different, isn't it? The man's sins have been forgiven. That means that no longer is he at odds with God. Not only has he got God's judgment hanging over him, no longer is he saying, you know, when I go to hell, I've got nothing good to look forward to. His life is totally changed by having his sins forgiven by Jesus. Reconciled to God. Forgiveness of sins. Part of God's family. Eternal life to look forward to. Relationship with God ongoing in this life. All of those things simply by Jesus saying your sins are forgiven. Don't tell me this guy's life has not already been transformed. Turned upside down. And then Jesus goes one step further. He says to them, these teachers of the Lord, the people who criticised him, he said, look, let me prove it to you. Let me prove to you that I can do what only God can do. Let me prove to you that I can forgive this man's sins. And he sets himself a test and he explains what he's doing. I, you know, I read this loads of times without, without quite getting the hang of it. He says, which is easier, to say to this man your sins are forgiven or to say get up, take your mat and walk? Okay, which is easier? Well, they're both easy to say. Well, here's the point. If he says your sins are forgiven, that is so easy to say and no one can tell whether you've really done it or not, can you? I mean, I could say that to you, your sins are forgiven and you go, great, thank you. Um, how do I know whether that's actually happened or not? He said, but, but if I say to you, you know, if you're a paralyzed man and I say to you, get up and walk, well, I put massive pressure on myself there because if you don't immediately get up, everyone can see that I'm a fake. So which one's easier? Oh, well, talking about forgiveness of sins is easier. Okay, so if I now tell him to get up and walk, if I can do the difficult thing, will you agree that I've got God's power? They don't actually answer him, but his point is made, isn't it? So he says to the man, get up, uh, take your mat and go home. Now the pressure's really on. Now everyone's trying to see. Think I saw the stretcher move? No. No, no, I was imagining it. No. No, Jesus is a fake, obviously. Oh, hang on, hang on a second. The man got up, took his mat, and walked out. Three things that he'd never been able to do before. He meets Jesus and suddenly he can do those things. And Jesus said, look, that's going to be the proof, isn't it? If I can do this, do you not agree? Do you not understand that I can also forgive his sins? You see, Jesus says in the middle of this uh, little passage, he says, here's what I want you to know. Here is the information that is so important that it is bigger than any healing I could possibly do. He says, verse 10. Got a great team here responding to my every command. I think we'll, we'll have to recruit you for St. John's as well. 
Jesus said, I want you to look at it on the screen. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Okay, that's Jesus' way of referring to himself, isn't it? The Son of Man. I want you to know, he says, not just to this man, but to everyone. I want you to... Can we, can we read that phrase together? Starting, I want you, and then going all the way to the end of the sentence. One, two, three. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Again, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Do you know, he could have said, I want you to know that I can heal any kind of illness. I want you to know that there is no physical disability greater than my power. Well, I mean, they, they, they did learn that. But he said, that's not what I want you to know. I want you to know that I have got the authority to forgive your sins. Your greatest problem, not physical, not economic, spiritual. And Jesus says, that is your greatest problem. It's my greatest problem. It is the greatest problem for our community. It is the greatest problem facing anyone in the world. And Jesus says, I have the authority to solve the problem. I can forgive your sins. We need to know that, don't we? Even though we've been told it over and over, we need to keep on remembering it. Not only that it's true, but that it's Jesus' top priority. You know, every morning when we get up, say, I praise you, Lord. Thank you for preserving me through the night. Thank you for all you've got in store for me today. But thank you most of all that you have forgiven my sins. My greatest problem has been taken away. I have a relationship with you that will never end because of what Jesus alone has been able to do. Our friends and our neighbours and our colleagues and our relatives, they need to know it too. It's lovely for them to know all sorts of things about our Christian lives and how, how things are going and what we get up to. And ultimately what they need to know is that Jesus has the authority on earth to forgive their sins. How do, how do we communicate that to people? That, that, that's our challenge. But that is the message. That is what Jesus wants everyone to know. Lots of other good stuff we can know as well, but ultimately that. Today we're thinking about church unity, the unity of churches right across Bromley, churches all over the world. What is our unity focused in? If it is not focused in Jesus' unique authority to forgive sins, then it is a mere superficial unity that's not really worth anything. It's the lowest common denominator, unless we say Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, and in this we are united with every other Christian, every other church, because we celebrate Jesus' authority to forgive our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Son, our Lord Jesus, was sent into the world to pay the price for our sins by his death on the cross, to reconcile us to yourself, to bring us into a relationship with you and your family, and to make the path to eternal life where we can enjoy your presence forever and ever. We thank you that Jesus' priority is for all people to know his authority to forgive sins and we pray that we may know that more deeply day by day 
and that we may be part of your plan to spread and share that message with those around us. We pray for churches throughout the world that this may be our focus to share the good news of forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus alone. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.